Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, along with former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Australia retained the Ashes after the Old Trafford washout. We'll hear from both captains Ben Stokes and Pat Cummins. Legendary cricket commentator David Bumble Lloyd weighs in on the debate surrounding reserve days in Test cricket and England bowler Stuart Broad reflects on taking 600 Test wickets. Former England wicketkeeper Geraint Jones joins us to talk about Johnny Bairstow, and obviously, we look ahead to the fifth test at the Oval. And we'll round up some of the week's other big stories as Alex Lees passes a 1,000 runs in the county championship. Several big-name players are on the move in county cricket and South Africa could send effectively a C-team for two test matches in New Zealand next year. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Tommy, massive disappointment, obviously, all round. But I've been surprised by the number of people who've been talking about uh, reserve days and should there be reserve days in Test cricket and some highly respectable people as well. First of all, we should differentiate between Test cricket and Ashes cricket. It might conceivably be possible logistically to think about having a reserve day for Ashes cricket, but not for, not for Test cricket in general. I mean, just the scheduling and television let's talk about it anyway because other people are talking about it i think it's mildly ridiculous and i suspect you do as well yeah i, I can't believe the, the sort of uproar about we've had days two days of rain honestly i can't get my head around some of the stuff that's come out i can't get my head around some of the people who have come out and said we think we should have a reserve day the game lasts five days and ashes series is over five test matches England haven't lost the Ashes because of two wet, great rain days in Manchester. England have lost the Ashes because they've made a mess of what happened in, in, in Test Matches 1 and Test Matches 2 with mistakes they made. But to say that there, there should be a reserve day, even in Ashes cricket, I think is ridiculous. Not long ago, Brendan McCollum, Ben Stokes come into this Test Match arena. They blew the doors off. And within three, four Test Matches, we're asking for 40 Test Matches. We want to be playing four-day test matches across the board because the way 2020 has changed the game, now all of a sudden we should be playing week, week in, week in. Feasibly look at getting four-day four test cricket and make it, make it better that way. 
And now we want to make it six. This is just madness. Honestly, we lose the Ashes, and it's county cricket's fault. We lose the Ashes, it's it's the Duke Bowl or the Kookaburra Bowl's fault. Now we're extending test matches because we've lost the Ashes because we had two days of rain. You know, there's more things we can look at. And we, everybody knows I'm I'm not the sort of huge amount of fan of, of the 100, and this is not blaming the 100 one bit. But if you try to cram five test matches in six weeks, you're gonna in England, you're gonna have rain. It's as simple as that. You're never gonna be that lucky. If you have five test matches across six weeks, there's gonna be a period where there's gonna be a week where there's rain's gonna be heavily involved in a test match in England. It's just the norm what happens in this country. But my biggest bugbear, forget trying to extend the test series. Just make sure every ball is bowled in the test series. I.e., if it's a 90 over day, you make sure the 90 overs are bowled. ICC, get your finger out and have a go at the umpires. Chuff them along. Make sure that the overs are bowled. I think there was 30 overs not bowled, 28 overs not bowled in this test match in the first three days because of him finishing at 6.30 and just walking off. Day one, great. I mean, entertaining day of test cricket. 83 overs bowled. Seven overs, that's that's half an hour. Half an hour throughout a day. You keep that, add that on, add that on. So if there was an extra 25 overs to be bowled, and England had 30 overs the night of the third night. You're, you're thinking, right, you know you know what? Five down, 55 overs extra being bowled. I think England, you'd have fancied England's chances to win. So, no, I, extending it, I think it's I think it's madness. I think there's people trying to make a headline for themselves by trying to say extend it. Five days is not the allotted time for a test match. Five days is a lot of time to win or to force a result. And in five days, if there's no result, you, you shake hands and it's a draw. It has been the same, and that that should never ever change because what happens when it goes to three days? England win, and, you know, the world win like they have been winning three days. You don't get many people going, "Come on, lads, we've got to play two one-day games just to fulfil the five days." Madness. But it always falls on a hard done by story when it falls against you. Johnny Bairstow, spirit of cricket. No, he walked out of his crease. He's out. England lose two days of rain, and that's life. Unfortunately, you have to take it on the chin. Disappointing, gutted for the lads because they've, they've worked so hard. But unfortunately, you can't do anything about the rain, and that's it. Well, fortunately, the England captain agrees with you. First and foremost, obviously, is a tough, tough way to not be able to get the earn back. But in terms of saying there should be reserve days, I probably wouldn't be on that side saying there should be. Test cricket is five days. I understand there being a reserve day for a World Test Championship because you obviously want a, a winner at the end of that, but I don't see there ever being a day where there's a reserve day for, for like test matches in a series like this. That was Ben Stokes not throwing his weight behind reserve days in test cricket, but we love Bumble, David Lloyd, and he was obviously passionate and a bit emotional after two massively disappointing days, um, and this is what he had to say on the subject. I'm in the camp of an extra day, and I think they can easily do that with okay. the schedules. And it'll only happen very, very rarely that you you lose a full day's play. And that's where I'd say, if you lose a full day's play or less than 30 overs, which is a cut-off point for spectators getting the money back, I would factor in the extra day. It's easy to do. I mean, you just look at our schedules uh, this summer. In August, there's no cricket. There's just 100. There's no proper cricket, if you know what I mean. That was David Lloyd Bumble speaking with Jamie O'Hara and Dean Saunders on TalkSport Breakfast earlier this week. I heard that it would cost in the region of a quarter of a million quid 
uh, to schedule a reserve day, by the way, you'd have to say to Sky, yeah, could you just put aside um, a sixth day? And obviously, we probably won't use it. But, you know, if you could just like schedule that sixth day. And then what about all the hotel bookings um, that would have to be made for, you know, not just the teams, but the great, I mean, a quarter of a million quid is conservative. So let's just spend quarter of a million quid on a on a sixth day on the off chance that we might use it, even though most test matches don't go to the fifth day these days. Um, but what happens that matters? Then you have, if it goes to the sixth day, so for instance, now it, it finishes on a Tuesday, do you then go, oh, well, we can't have that. We're going to, we need three days in between. So next week, no, we can't start. We'll use the sixth day and we'll only play five this week because we need them three days because players have got to recover and get down to wherever they need to go. That will not happen. So then they'll start again. Then you're running risk of players' welfare because you're only having two days in between games or one day in between games. For me, it's absolute nonsense. We lost. There's nothing you can do about it. I said before, we ran earlier, feel sorry for the lads because they did brilliantly to put themselves back in with a great chance of winning the Ashes. But you schedule five games in six and a half weeks, you're going to have one test match, at least one test match, affected with a rain, and that's what's happened. Well, Pat Cummins, understandably, had mixed emotions about retaining the Ashes in that manner. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. I think, you know, as a group, proud that we've retained the Ashes, but it's, you know, off the back of not our greatest week. Um, So... Good that we've won the Ashes, uh, sorry, retained the Ashes, but we know we've got a fair bit of work to do for next week. That was Pat Cummins. Um, yeah, um, mixed emotions. But we thought at the time, Harmy, that when England lost at Edgebaston, that was always going to come back and bite them. I mean, that was the test match that they had in their grasp. That's the test match they made all the running. That's the test match they should have won. And as a few slightly glib Aussie fans and, and media have pointed out, first rule of the Ashes, don't go 2-0 down. Yeah, don't go 2-0 down. And the, the first two test matches, the, I'm sure England will rue the mistakes. I think there's a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of build-up and a lot of pumping of the chest before that first test match. And I think England had feel they had to play in a certain way. And that, for me, was it, it was a, a borderline reckless. And that come back to haunt them on Test Match 1, Test Match 2. You know, 50 runs, three wickets to get, Pat Cummins, Nathan Lyon, and at the end, that's where England didn't win the Test Match. Not Ben's declaration. Ben doesn't declare. Then the game's a draw from three days out. You know, either try to force a result, try to make sure that, you know, we don't get to a point where we have a draw in the series. Them, them sort of decisions for me, I've got no problem with. England lost it because they were hooking balls, were playing aggressive you know, cricket shots with nearly every man on the boundary and getting caught in them positions. I thought test matches three and four, you know, they went from kamikaze basketball to control basketball. And you could see a difference straight away in the team and in the way that the Australians had to go about changing their plans because test matches three and four, Australia looked like rabbits and headlights. But test matches one and two is really where it cost England. And I think that's where, forget declarations, forget Johnny Best, or forget the rain. I think if England look back at this series and have their time again, there were decisions that they made under pressure, individually and collectively, in test matches one and two, that if they had the time again, they'd make different decisions and they'd probably be winning the Ashes and not, and not obviously having Australia retain them. So that, for me, is where the Ashes have gone from. So that's where I'd be looking at. And 
team selection for that first test match, not pushing to try and get Mark Wood into the into the team because we didn't know whether to pick Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson, Ollie Robinson. So we picked the three of them. And then you've seen, not forget what happened with, with Mark in the, in the first part of, the, of Henley, but the latter part of the, the sort of Henley test match when he blows the tail away. That, for me, is where you probably rue missing Mark Wood in that first test match when, you know, 50, you know, 50 runs to win with, you know, with three wickets left, then your fast bowler blows them away. They are, they're the things that, for me, that England will look back on and, and possibly like the change. The way Harry Brook and Ben Stokes batted in the last half an hour at the end of day two, I just thought was, you know, grown up baseball. And I just thought that, uh, you know, half an hour or 45 minutes of uh, sensible batting at a critical time at Edgebaston could have made all the difference. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's what just, just sprinkle a little bit of common sense onto baseball. And you know what? You'll be unbeatable. Okay. Very quickly, Zach Crawley and what how about, I mean, that innings will live long in my memory, even though um, the test match finished so, so miserably. Um, and we have to talk about Stuart Broad. Let's hear from Stuart Broad talking about reaching 600 test wickets. Really special. I think uh, it's got a nice ring to it, getting the 600th test wicket from the James Anderson end as well. You know, something pretty special about that. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think I got my 500th test wicket here in front of no crowd, but my dad was here because he was match ref. So to, to, to get a, you know, it felt very special to get a bit of an ovation today from the Old Trafford crowd who, you know, I've always loved playing here. Uh, so to, you know, get them my 600th in front of a full house in the first day of an Ashes test is, is pretty memorable. Stuart Broad, 600 test wickets. Just, I don't know, I've run out of words for Broad and, and Anderson. Um, and Zach Crawley, just a, I think the disappointment is you know, those milestones didn't get, and the series didn't get the conclusion that we all so desperately wanted, which was to go to the Oval at 2-2. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest anti-climax going, hasn't it? It's it's really just fallen straight off a, off the edge of a cliff. And it's they're brilliant for Stuart. He has really, we, we talked on this, on this show, literally leading into the Ireland game. And yeah, is this Stuart's last test match, the Ireland one? Are we are we giving him a, a, a fairy tale farewell? And, Playing at Lords and letting them go on off into the sunshine, sunshine because you're expecting, you know, Ollie Robinson to be up there, Jimmy Anderson. You've got the fast bowler. Stewart was the one on life support and never write him off against the Ashes because he says he's got his love for Test cricket again. I, I, I'm not saying I don't think he had lo- his love for Test cricket, but the one thing he never lost the love for was to have a go at Australia and play the fight against Australia and to get 600 wickets is just a, a brilliant, a phenomenal achievement. And Zach. We need to we need to sort of say positive things about Zach Crawley because so many people and me included have questioned why he's in the team, what he's in the team for, how can we keep picking somebody who keeps getting out for less than sort of twenty five thirty? But you can see why, and we've all said it, and, I, and I'm happy to say it, as much as it was frustrating me, you could see how good this boy is. You can see what he's got and what the England team want out of him, and to see it on a big stage against Australia in an Ashes series, hopefully that gives him a huge amount of confidence. I must admit, going into lunchtime, I was on Hawksby and Jacobs talking to Andy Jacobs, and, I'm, and and I did say, how on earth is Zach still there? Because he, the airy-fairy shots he played in that that first month before lunch, it's like, Zach, Zach, just stand still. Right, if you stand still, you've got a great chance of hitting this ball because your hands are, your hands are quick as anything, you look as though you're, you're right at it. Just stand still. He had roller skates on. 
And then he came out after lunch. And between lunch and tea, boy, he stood still. It was like Matty Hayden, you know, when Hayden was in his in his prime. It was like big 12 studs coming towards you. Bang, that Granick was back. Just looked as big as what he did. Um, and it was brilliant to watch. And I was so pleased for him. You know, really, really pleased for him. Because the kid, kids took some stick. And some of the criticism's right. But when you when you give somebody the criticism, when you see them come out and get a big score, especially the way he did, you need to shout from the rooftops and how pleased you are for the lads because you know, it was a special innings. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at England's washed-out fourth test against Australia, which saw the Aussies retain the ashes. Let's hear from Johnny Bairstow now. Keeping after three years, not keeping. It's one of those things that um, takes a bit of time to get back to irrelevant of the ankle. That's part and parcel of it. Um, it'd be like you guys taking a three-year sabbatical and then coming back and writing to the same level in which you do uh, day in, day out. So I'm sure you wouldn't necessarily find that easy or maybe even three years off a bit of touch typing without a delete button and see how that then pops up. That was a particularly spiky, prickly Johnny Bairstow uh, speaking to the media after his unbeaten 99 at Old Trafford. Do you know, he everything he said, Harmy, was true. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, he was... He believes, obviously, that he has every reason to feel hard done by. But I found it just one prickly Johnny Bairstow press conference too many. We've we've seen a lot. And, you know, we often talk about how he responds to criticism and criticism brings out the best in him. But at no point did he seem willing to accept the fact that he did drop eight catches and missed a very important stumping, that he was rusty and that he put himself forward. He made it perfectly clear. You know, at no point before the Ashes began did we hear Johnny Bairstow saying, yep, okay, well, I'm not keen to open, but I'm just happy to play for England. I'll do whatever I can for the team because we were talking about whether he might open the batting. And, you know, at no point did he say, I'm unhappy with the criticism. I think some of it was unfair, but... I did drop eight catches and that could have made a difference. Yeah, I think, I think Johnny could, uh, I think Johnny could have handled it a hell of a lot better. I'm not going to criticize Johnny because he has a right to say whatever he feels. He's, you know, he's man enough. I think that could have been a good newspaper article sitting down a column at the end of the series, putting everything on record on how frustrating it was getting criticism from a large part of the media who he expected a little bit better from. Because some of the criticism that Johnny's got, I think, has got personal. You know, some of the stuff on Ben Folks is ridiculous. You know, we're talking about you're always a better player when you're not playing. But I, I, I fully agree that it could have been handled a little bit better because, yes, you have dropped eight catches. You have Mr. Stumpin. But you have had a ridiculously horrendous injury. You have had a long time out from playing. But like you said... You did put your hand up and say straight away off the bat, I'm batting at seven and keeping wicket for Yorkshire. And the minute you say to Ben Stokes and ben McC- uh, Brendan McCollum, I'm fit to play, then gloves, are, pardon the pun, gloves are off. That's as fit as you are, as mobile as you can be. That's as good as you are with a bat because you've been selected for England. And keep using the, the, the same saying, you're not playing for the dog and duck. You're not trying to get back into your know, movement of cricket and everything like that. You're playing on the big stage, the worldwide stage. So you have to be ready to perform. 
And unfortunately, his wicketkeeping has been rusty. His wicketkeeping, his movements has been restricted because of his because of his uh, because of his injury. I've been consistent on this show for two years now, man. I think Johnny Bairstow should have kept wicket for two years because the balance of the side, trying to get Harry Brook in the team, makes a huge amount of sense to, for Johnny to keep wicket. Johnny will drop catches. Zach Crawley will get out in a, a horrendously looking way. But ben and, ben and Brendan want players who can affect a cricket match. So I've got no problem with Johnny dropping catches. He's got score runs. And he's the ones he's, the ones he's took this week were, will give him a huge amount of confidence. But coming out and seeing the way he said it just made it a little bit more, yeah, spiky, but it just made it a little bit more, I don't want to say childish, but I, why have a go at people when you've done, had a great day? Just tell you know, thanks very much. Pleased to be performing. It has been a tough road. It has had its dark times. And then at the end of the series, when you've won or you've lost, you sort of you open your heart, you put it all out there to somebody you trust, and you get it all out that way. And it becomes then you have a go at somebody that you want to have a go at. Then you have a go at somebody who deserves to be had a go at. But just to come out shooting and shooting from the hip, it doesn't for me, it doesn't sound I don't think you achieve anything by doing it that way. And all you're doing is you're just putting fuel on a fire to somebody who's been having a go at it to basically to keep going, unfortunately, for Johnny. Yeah, I mean, when he was talking about being told that he might not walk properly again and, um, you know, the severity of the injury, it was it was emotive and it was it was emotional stuff. But, I, I, you know, and, and jeepers, um, as you say, there would have been some dark places along I've that journey. I've seen the scars, man. I've seen the scar. I've seen... I did a, a thing with him at Manchester not long ago, which before the Ashes series. You know, I seen the, seen his foot, seen the restriction of movement, seen how it was, and that probably for me was the first sign of, ooh, can he keep wicket? And I've said this many, many times over the course of the last few weeks. I think England have just gone, we well, yeah, put John, we put Johnny back and put him in behind the stones. I don't think anybody's watched him keep wicket for Yorkshire. I don't think anybody really seriously sat down and as good as they're watching the next cab off the rank for a batter, the next cab off the rank for a bowler. I'm not sure they did the same with Johnny Best of his wee-keeping gloves. It's, wow, we've got, a, we've got a top six that's firing. We've got Johnny Besto, who, where do we fit him in? Well, he was a wee-keeper before, he'll do the job again. I'm not sure they watched him closely enough to go, because I'm not sure, I, I'm, I'm saying, I'm not sure I would have picked him as a wee-keeper if I'd seen him the way he was, that, the, the way he's been. Then you would have a decision to make. One of the top six has to leave, be left out because Johnny has to play. Now, them calls aren't on Johnny. That's not Johnny's fault he's been picked as a wicketkeeper. What Johnny's, Johnny has to own, like you said right at the top, is that he's dropped eight catches and missed a stumping, and he can't get away from that. OK, let's uh, move on and hear from another wicketkeeper, your former teammate, Harmy, um, Geraint Jones. Uh, he was speaking on behalf of LV Insurance, sponsors of this summer's LV Insurance Ashes series. And here he is talking with our very own Scott Taylor. Gary, thanks for speaking to, to Talk Sport. You're down here at the Oval. Just tell us a little bit about what you're up to today. I'm here for LV Insurance, just doing a few interviews and a bit of a photo shoot. So it, it's been good fun. I've, I've loved getting back into the experience of uh, preparation for a test match. I, I haven't really been to a, a test sort of since I've played, to be honest. I popped into Lords with my membership every now and again. But to actually see... See the guys preparing and um, you know walking up, walking up those stairs towards the dressing rooms and just just being able to say hello to a few of them and 
Um, you know, I had a good chat with Johnny, so it was nice to, to speak to him about his keeping and we sort of uh, compared fingers, how bent they were and, uh, you know, I've got my boys with me and so they were able to see what, what keeper's fingers, you know, someone who's doing it at the moment and then what, what Johnny's got to look forward to. But, um, but yeah, no, it's... it's Yes, it's it's a nice. It's been a nice sort of invite to come and, and do this stuff, and also, yeah, get a bit of the feeling of preparation for a test match again. Does it bring back the memories just sitting here of what eighteen years ago or whatever in the '05? Absolutely, yeah, no, definitely. So as as we are here on the two days out from this LV Insurance fifth test match, it's got that feeling of '05 in a way because of the series and the nature of it. And this, yes, the Ashes have gone, but there's, there's still stuff to play for the series um, and I think England will be wanting to do that 100% is they'll want to win this test match because the momentum over the last three has been incredible it's such a shame that up at Manchester that the rain affected it but you you can't do anything about the weather and just needed a bit of a window which never happened and so the nature of sport I think as as fans we're a bit we're a bit deflated by that but for me personally, just coming here and watching, you know, I just watched Joe Root back, played his reverse scoop. You know, so fits me. I'm excited now about this, this final LV insurance test match. And so I expect the, that the public is the same way because the nature of the way that England have been playing. You know, I've got to say hello to Zach Crawley, Kent, Kent player, and just to say congrats cause, about that innings because that was just incredible. And so, yeah, I'm excited. I hope everyone else is. It sort of goes under the radar, the Crawley innings from last night, given uh, last week, given everything that happened. But how, how disappointing was it that last week? And, and what's your reaction to the fact that in the days leading off the back of that test, there's been a lot of chat about, oh, let's bring in a reserve day in cricket. But this is test cricket. It's five days. If it rains, it rains. But, and I'm sure if the rains prevented the Aussies winning this last test, there wouldn't have been any reference about it. Yeah, it's, it's the nature of it, isn't it? You know, and so this... This LV Insurance series has been dictated a bit by the weather, disappointingly so. Uh, but you can't do anything about it. You know, we all know you go to Manchester and it rains. <laughs> you know, so may so the fact now bringing in a reserve day, you know, you then extending it to six. Yeah. And, you know, the logistics. There was wasn't long ago they were talking about counting the fifth day, wasn't yeah. it? Whereas yeah. you know the, the way this these these matches have gone, and so it's just a shame that, that that happened. But you've got to you know as gutting as it is for the England players, it's there's nothing that they could have done differently. You know they did everything they could to to try and win that Test match, and they just needed that small window. And so so hopefully this week weather stays away, and we get to see five days of continued amazing cricket that we've seen. And um, so that side of it. You've just got to accept it a bit. Yeah. We've talked about you not really being at cricket grounds since you finished playing. So take a bit up to the, the day job. I know you're working as a fireman, but have your colleagues been sort of engrossed by this series and what's their reaction been since the Australia retained the Ashes and are they a bit deflated that it's not a 2-2 winner takes all? Well, I've, my main job's a school teacher, yeah. and so we've just not long actually finished a school cricket tour oh, and obviously and ironically it took me to it's taken me to three grounds which mm. I haven't really visited in the you know since I've played but I've really enjoyed that we went on a, a, a tour of of Trent Bridge yeah. and to be able to talk to year seven and eights who were there on that tour about that and and actually say oh, I did all right at this test mm. match <laughs> and so the fact that that series was going on and then subsequently for it to be a probably more reaction is with my local village cricket club yeah the guys at the fire station, there's not too many cricket fans there, to be honest, but it's more with my local cricket club. We were 
you know, we were watching it and we on Saturday we were affected by the rain, but they were, they were keen to get back and put it on in the clubhouse and, and watch what they could. And, you know, Saturday we had that, they had the break in the in the weather and they were able to play a bit, weren't they? So I think it's, like the way I was explaining before, everyone's a bit gutted that it, it was, was rain affected because the way England's been playing has captured everyone. You know, like you think back all those years to 05, similar sort of thing is the nature of the way that the the matches were it's been mirrored quite similarly by this and and the way us as fans expected England to go out there and and take on the Aussies and and play this basball and they have I think they've learnt how to do it better as the series has go on if you think back to the first two test matches it probably knows I know that there are no regrets team but I think there'd probably be a few maybe shot selections that they think about which could have influenced those matches but ultimately it's the nature of what we're expecting now as fans. We, you know, they they play with no regrets, but it's such positive cricket, and uh, it's it's amazing to watch. And so, yeah, linking that back to 05, we tried to play similar way. You mentioned just chatted to Johnny Bairstow. Let's talk about the, the wicket keeping side of things. Just Harmy actually mentioned a good story about 05, where at the Old Trafford Test, where you might have put down a chance on one of the days, and he said, "Come on, let's go to the dog racing," and introduced you to a couple of his drunk mates, and how the day later you took that scream of a catch that rebounded off the slip. So, how important was that in a sense of just if you drop a catch, you probably just stew on it. So having that other activities outside of cricket or your mates rallying around you. Yeah, it's it's it is important. I remember, we, you know, we chatted about it on Talk Sport, yeah. uh, and I brought it up and and reminded him. And uh, it was it was him and Fred, and it was I dropped Shane Warne an absolute yeah. dolly of a catch, yeah. and and a bit like Johnny with the ups and downs. You know, I dropped my fair share in that series, and and you just want to do the team proud you know individual yes it's a bit of an individual crush but what you think about is what what does this mean to the team and so after I dropped that catch in such a pivotal test match I was I was fully prepared to sit in the dressing room and uh, and then in my own hotel room but they refused to do that and and I think this team uh, it's what I talked to Harmy about as well I think this team is very similar that they won't let Johnny sort of take himself off and I don't think he's that sort of character anyway and I yeah in in the chat I had with him briefly he's off to play golf this afternoon and he and and Zach are going and that's the way that this team do it is that you know they're on this journey absolutely together and and so he will have incredible support and I remember talking to Harmy about it will just need a little moment for Johnny to to feel like back into it and that catch he took which an outstanding catch and that's what I said to Jaime he just needs a little trigger and and for me I then once he'd taken that catch I fully expected him to go out and score some runs because it's just that bit of a boost you've shown your team actually look what I can do and then it's right okay now this is what I can do so I'm excited for Johnny coming into this fifth test match here because he's he's on the back of that incredible 99 not out gutted for him not to get the 100 Uh, but you know when I said to him up there chatting about it he was complimentary straight away to Jimmy. It wasn't about him. It was about well, Jimmy did amazingly to let me do it. So, you know, but I'm, I reckon Johnny now will be flying for this test match. He'll be, you know, the glove work side of it. That would have given him a boost. And I also think a bit of the rustiness has been knocked off. He hadn't kept for three years. Yeah. Horrific injury. Mm-hmm. So it was always going to take him a bit of time to get into it. And so here we are entering this, this fifth LV Insurance test match. Mm-hmm. And he's feeling more comfortable. He's taken 
taken some good catches, he's got the runs. So I now expect him to really fly and gutted for folks because it's yeah. a, it was a big choice, but you can only pick 11 mm-hmm. and only one keeper. Yeah. Uh, but Johnny now is showing why we selected him. Last summer was utterly outstanding, yeah. so you couldn't really leave him out for this summer. How difficult is it as a wicketkeeper then? Because you mentioned Ben Folks, the outside noise that comes with that. Every time a chance or a tough chance goes down, a lot of people go, oh, Folks would have caught that. And and, and you sort of have the same sort of media attention around the Ashes series. So from your point of view, if you did put down a chance, how hard was it just to do, OK, Folks on the Nets ball? Because you probably had the likes of Chris Reed, James Foster, those guys knocking on the door then. Obviously, in the, in the moment, in the match, you've got to, uh, despite all the cameras and you know that the you know that the the scribes up in the in the media box you know they've sharpened their pencils and they're like yes happy days we've got something else to write about um but you've just got to find a way to almost analyze right what happened okay this is it right if it happens again you know if it's in that spot this is what i need to do to take it and then that's your way that's the way i used to do it is was almost deal with it then and there analyze what i need to do to catch it if it's in that spot again move forward yeah. it's then when you get away from from the actual ground and uh you know that the media are then having their time to talk about it. and that that's the toughest bit yeah. uh in the moment in the dressing room okay it's when you're on your own and it, you know if you're in the hotel room stuff like that that's when it really sort of hits you and when you've got that time to do do your own sort of thinking that you you go over it and over it and uh you just want to do something like johnny did with that catch to shut them up <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely and last question and thanks for joining us today and just about you really because when we're saying Darren Jones is on the show a lot of people are going oh I haven't really heard from Darren over the years H- how are you doing and have you enjoyed stepping away from the game and sort of going a bit out, out of the picture for a while yeah um, I suppose it's the nature of my character a bit is even within the side you know as I l- listen to watch Collie walk off and the boot the boom but you know that's his character he's he's big I I always had my glasses on a helmet so I always went under the radar a bit even when preparing for test matches I'd go out with Harmy the day before and we'd just go you know in London here we'd go find somewhere quiet and so I suppose that's why it's carried on my younger son is with me here today uh said to me dad why aren't you like Freddie <laughs> and you know it's well it's just the way it goes it was never uh, but I love it. I'm, you know, I, I work in a school. You know, I teach in business studies. I, I'm becoming head of cricket in September, uh, and it suits my life perfectly. I throw the fire service stuff into it, but I'm still involved with cricket. I've, you know, I, I'm the sort of the lead wicketkeeping coach for the girls' pathway system at Kent. And, you know, I really enjoy that. I've got some matches coming up with them over the next week or so. So I'm taking over the cricket at St Lawrence College in Ramsgate, where I work. I still play for my local village. I turned out on Saturday. You know, they badgered me for a week and a half, two weeks, as I was short of a keeper. Big thing there was the teas were available, so happy days, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm happy. I'm, you know, I must admit, coming back today is sort of think, oh, I'd like to come and watch some more. It's probably the one thing I need to do more of. Uh, I brought my eldest son to, to the 100 last year. Uh, and having them here today and, and seeing this, it's sort of, well... It's wetting my appetite and almost kicking myself. Right, I need to need to come back more and just enjoy enjoy cricket because I I went through an amazing time with England and cricket's given me so much. It's I just I do enjoy it. I've just got to find sort myself out and find some time to to do it and actually dedicate dedicate time to do it because it's so easy to drift along and and not do it. Um, 
But yeah, sitting here this morning, seeing the team train, seeing the buzz, you know, even seeing the journos, you know, they also load to me quite nicely. Uh, and so that side of it, I actually, I actually would like to come along and watch a bit more cricket. So that's probably a bit of a spark for me. Is yes, I've I'm not in the absolute limelight of a lot of that 05 guys are heavily involved with cricket. I'm just in a way not that sort of character and um but I do do love it and this is yeah this is giving me a buzz today I must admit. And that's former England wicketkeeper Geraint Jones talking to our very own producer Talksports Scott Taylor on behalf of LV Insurance sponsors of this summer's LV Insurance Ashes series. Geraint's one of those men who's sort of disappeared quietly off into the into the sunset. How many is um is is he not one for the for the limelight no he's not Garrett's one of the nicest human beings nothing's ever a problem you know no fanfare or anything like that. he came in quietly he left quietly came into cricket very quietly and then left even quieter uh just one of the nicest guys you'll you'll ever meet we had him on the the, the inquest uh during that last test match talking about johnny and his own experiences uh, you know we've He's just a, an amazing character. He was a good friend of mine inside that dressing room when when he was in there. We travelled together a lot. We ate together a lot. Um, he was just a, an all round good a good person. Talked about his troubles at, at, at Manchester when in '05, and it literally I'll never forget. Never forget it. We were staying in the, the Marriott in Worsley, I think it was, and, and he was gone. He had dropped. He had dropped a catch. His head was gone all over the place. And Andrew Freddie had a dog run at Bellevue and was like looking for Geraint everywhere. I couldn't find him. I was like, Matt, you're not staying in your room. Nah, come on. I got the dogs and I was about eight of my mates there. And they knew what they knew the sort of ins and outs of, of dogs, you know, from the northeast. We you know, we breed like greyhounds. No, no, I'm not coming. You mate, you aren't staying in your room. So we dragged him to the dogs to watch Freddie's dog running. I think it ran the other way around the track, to be honest. I think it's still running now. But he had an unbelievable night. He came away, and then the next morning, he was sitting in the car. Thanks for that. I really needed it. I didn't want to just sit and watch a telly. I didn't want to sort of stew in what I, what happened the day before. The lads were brilliant when we taught me. I literally, you get the dog program, and they were going through the program, and you can see them. This is the England witty keeper in the middle of the ashes, two, talking to two, uh, two of my drunk mates who are telling them how to go through a race card and dogs first bend and ear one, ear two, ear three races and everything. He educated them, took his mind off it. And then the next morning, he takes that catch, doesn't he? I think, I'm not sure, Nick hits Strauss's knee and Garrett dives full length, catches it, and you can just see the elevation in his face. One of the one of the nicest guys. And I say, we had him on the show, and he just warned us. He said, look, I know you were on live, but if a bell goes and I go quiet, don't be alarmed. It just means, because he's a fireman, I'm on call, and I'm after run out of the station. So we were ready for him. He's just a, he's just a great, great person all around. We're so accustomed to our big stars. When they retire, they they have a life of luxury these days. <laughs> Just play golf and the idea of going into a, a a real job in the real world is kind of a different era, isn't it? It is, and it's but it's typical of it's typical of Garrett because he didn't want any fuss. You know, very very quiet, unassuming character. From a great family, you know, his family were all over from, you know, from Wales for Papua New Guinea. He went off and played for Papua New Guinea at the end of at the end of his career. And we were in we were on a pre season tour, and there was an Emerging Nations competition going on there. 
Garrett was in the middle of the, the lads from Papua New Guinea singing and dance. They were singing. We were in a, we were in a swimming pool. I just won a game, and I think we were in South Africa. Or, uh, we were we were over in sure we might have been in in, in the Middle East. I'm not sure where, we, but we were all in the swimming pool, all singing, all dancing, and. There he is, just sitting in the middle because he didn't want to detach himself for his team, but he wasn't a singer or a dancer. He just sat there smiling and laughing. And you, know, you could see him looking at me as to say, I am so out of my comfort zone. You would not believe. But one of the reasons that the, the, the Papua New Guinea got through was because of obviously Garrett's experience and, 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 and obviously his ability to play cricket. So all around good guy, gone in, not surprising he's gone in there. He went in as a school teacher, is now a fireman. It's great that he is coming out and speaking about the cricket because he's got a huge amount of knowledge and he was a, he was a fine, fine witty keeper batter. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, we'll look ahead to the fifth test at the Oval. Um, and could it be the last time Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad play together or will either of them play? Will they retire from international cricket? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Australia will return with the urn, metaphorically. Uh, the ashes have been retained, but no Australian team has won in England since 2001. And, and that's a very, very proud record for England to protect. And I think uh, it should provide significant motivation for Australia as well, Harmi. I mean, they, they've, they, you know, objective number one uh, was to retain the Ashes, but winning the series, I think, for two days of rain at Manchester, we thought, oh, it's going to be such a damp squib at the Oval. But very, very quickly, I think, you know, thoughts have, have turned back to how much there is still at stake, even though the Ashes aren't. 
Yeah, there's, there's a huge amount of stick. You know, there is. The, the way Ben and Brendan have, have built this team, they, they don't sort of rest on anything. You know, 2 0 up in Pakistan, they went out there and shot and, you know, scored six, seven and a half and over and blew Pakistan away even further. So, this is what this team does. It'll be a bit of pill. You know, it'll be hurting. It'll be flat. But I think when Thursday morning comes, I think they'll be, they'll be right up for it. Australia, you can't say they didn't deserve to win the Ashes because I think England have contributed helping them to, oh, sorry, retain the Ashes. And it'll be interesting to see the, the probably the pitch that might suit them the most would be would be the Oval. And it'll be interesting to see what sort of their team's team lineup will be. And Pat Cummins will be determined that we win the Ashes for the first, first time since, 2000 and, since 2001. But England, there's got to be some big decisions to be made. There's got to be some hierarchy, talking to some senior players now about where we go next. Where does Broad, where does Anderson go? You know, all these conversations. Is Moen going to India? I'm not saying that comes into conversation with the team selection for the next test match, but it has to have, the Broad and Anderson one especially, it has to have a consequence on what the selection is because if Broad and Anderson are done and they are going to retire and they, I mean, they're not going to go on to what the winter is or next summer, then Broad and Anderson have got to play at the Oval. You, you have to play them. You have to play them. Not for sentiment, because they're still our best bowlers. But you have to have, you've got to give them their idea of, of thanks for, and recognition and thanks for what unbelievable servants have been to English cricket. And that's not giving them a benefit match. You know, they're still the best players that we've got in this team and you, won't be, you wouldn't be devaluing the team. But I think our respect for them, you've got to give them that one last chance. To, uh, to represent the country in, in England. So I would imagine there'll be a lot of conversations going on behind the scene. All right. Well, Ben Stokes doesn't think it'll be a problem lifting the team for the Oval. The mentality and the mindset that we have within the dressing room is go out and win. Go back to the New Zealand series, go back to the Pakistan series. You know, we could have taken it easy in that last game knowing we won the series, but we didn't. Um, we still went out there with um, the exact same mentality and how we wanted to play the cricket, you know, even though we'd already won the series. And you know, every time I walk out to the field, that's that's all I encourage the players to do is just concentrate on what you need to do as an individual to to influence the game in the in the right way. Um, and if it doesn't happen, oh well, you've you've still got another opportunity to do that on a different day or a different session. So, you know, everything that we do as players is to try and just be as positive, and you know, hopefully, everything we do results in a in a win for England. As Ben says, there, I mean, the team will be up for it, but in many ways, in the context of baseball, it's a free hit. For England now, isn't it? I mean, they can, with the ashes no longer at stake, they really can give it everything. Yeah, I think what, the thing for me in the last two test matches, like I said before earlier in the show, we've gone from one and test matches one and two kamikaze basketball to test matches three and four control basketball. And it's like taking it to the next stage. And I think three and test matches three and four, England have took you know, the way they play to the next phase, which is it's not reining it in. It's just being smarter decisions under pressure. And I think England have done that well. So that's something they need to carry on. And Australia have had a real runaround. We've been talking about Pat Cummins' captaincy for the last what, two weeks because of how well new, uh, how well sort of England have played. And, any, and some of the captaincy stuff that Pat Cummins has got is disgusting. Yeah, Kim Hughes and, and one or two other Australian legends having a go at his captaincy. I'm sorry. You could have put Alan Border, you could have put Steve Waugh, Ricky Ponton in the last two test matches. 
England completely changed their decision-making process for the better, and they would have made any any captain in the world look stupid with six men on the boundary and England giving them a running round. Because before that, it didn't take a rocket scientist to work out. If you put six men on the boundary and you bowl at England's head, they're going to eventually hit one up in the air because that's what this team does. Not in the last two test matches. And I think from an England point of view, that's where they've got to now evolve the way they've been playing and keep making it better. You keep their captaincies on the op- on the opposition under pressure. And I think that's something that I'd be pushing from Ben and this team to make sure that does happen at the Oval. We don't lose sight of the fact that this is the journey that we're going on and the way we're playing has to get better and evolve. And I think that's the biggest thing that needs to carry on throughout this next test match. Then going where we, you know, we're not going, in, it's not getting any easier. We've got India for five test matches in January, February, March. So this message that is being driven to making sure that this team is getting better and learning from the mistakes they've made. Because up until the first test match, England didn't really make any mistakes. Unfortunately, them first test matches, possibly what this group needed to make the way that they play a lot better. And I think they did that in test matches three and four, and that that needs to happen in number five as well. I just think Pat Cummins' captaincy was was pretty clever. I think that Andrew McDonald's had a big impact, the coach. He's a lot of input. Uh, let's liken it to a, to a heavyweight boxing bout. You know, I love the way that Australia ducked and weaved and bobbed and sort of Muhammad Ali on the ropes, swaying and ducking and, and avoiding punches and, you know, putting cover sweeper on the boundary. I, I think they were drawing the sting of, of England's uh, approach. But then once the punches started to land, and they did, <laughs> they landed hard. I just, Cummins looked bereft of ideas, but that's nothing to do with him. That, as you said, that would have been any captain because when those punches started landing, there isn't a lot you can do. No, there's not, not a lot you can do. And that's that for me is that's praise to Ben and Brendan's team that have sort of changed their, not changed their outlook because the outlook's still the same. They're still being aggressive. It's being aggressive in a different manner. And you look at the, the criticism that Pats get, it's like he's won the World Test Championship, he's regained the Ashes. He potentially could be the first captain to win the Ashes in 2001 in England. Australia are Ashes winners four times in a row. And after, after, after Headingley, you had people calling for his head. I was like, please, come on. And, you know, again, I'm very good at making statements and potentially grabbing headlines. But some of them statements in the, in the headlines made me look, I'm now he's four there, made me look absolutely ridiculous. It's like I couldn't believe what I was hearing and reading. You know, I've got to go. You've got to call for his head, and you know, I'll give and somebody else has got to captain this team. He's you know, they look as though they're a rabble. They look as though that they're they're rudderless. They look as though that they're, they're a team of you know, of lads who don't know what they're doing. World Test Championship Ashes regained potentially first time since two thousand and one. Yeah, they've had a break. Not only is he the best bowler in the world, and he's contributed to. What, nearly 20 wickets in this series so far. Got you over the line in the first test match with the bat. He's now, he will, he will lift the ashes at, in Australia, in, at the Oval in, in eight days' time. Again, this, this instant social media world we live in is sometimes absolutely ridiculous. Okay, let's briefly return to uh, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. And Bumble, David Lloyd, agrees with you about uh, Jimmy Anderson's place at the Oval. They will not play a shot at Jimmy Anderson. Australia, you know, this brash Australian team do not play a shot at him. They say we're going to get him out of the attack. And he goes at two and over or less. 
And so, you know, I've no problem with Jimmy Anderson playing. If somebody says, you can't play Jimmy Anderson, well, tell me who. Who have you got with 600, 700 test match wickets? Who's going to replace him? You've got, you, if you say he doesn't play, you've got to say, but he should play. It's pointless saying you don't play him. Well, who do you play then? That was David Lloyd and Bumble suggesting that uh, Jimmy Anderson should certainly play. Let's turn our attention to Stuart Broad now. And uh, he provided everyone with another little insight into what it's like playing in the Brendan McCullum Ben Stokes era. I've definitely got a, an addiction to Test match cricket, an addiction to the competitive side of it. And, and ultimately, Baz and Stokesy have... Uh, what would be the right saying? Sort of giving me a new lease of life in a way. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, it's such a free, free changing room. It does feel in the nicest possible way that you're playing club cricket, uh, but you are doing it at the highest, highest level. And that's such a, a great place to be as a, a, as a 37-year-old because uh, you're turning up each day with, with it being really fun, really enjoyable. Um, there's, there's no fear of failure there. There's no judgment. Uh, and it's all about taking the game forward and moving the game forward. And I think that suits my style of play as a cricketer. So, yeah, I mean, I, I owe a lot in the last sort of 14 months to, to the way Baz and Stokes have brought energy to the group. And I think I've been able to, to match that energy and, and move myself forward as a player. So, I found it. I found it really enjoyable. I'd argue it's probably been the, the most enjoyable year of my my whole Test career, which is which is an awesome thing to say at 30, 36, 37. And I think Jimmy would probably say say the same at, at what's he forty five. So, you know, I, I I have I do I'm a very competitive person on the field, and and I think that Australia bring the best out of me on that front because they're so competitive as a group as well. So uh, it, you know, it's, it's it's great to have been involved in some. Some brilliant battles throughout this summer with with, with Australia, and and to be honest, I've I've, I've loved every moment of, of this series. Um, it's been the series that just keeps on giving, really. Most enjoyable year of his life, Stuart Broad. Yeah, um, and uh, not bad at the age of thirty six, became a dad as well. So, will it be the last hurrah if they both play? Will it be the last hurrah? I I find it really intriguing with Jimmy Anderson. He's forty one now, and you know they always say you know, you know when your time's up, you just know. You did, um, you've mentioned it many times, you, you know, you woke up one morning and thought, I'm done. And I think Jimmy Anderson's biggest problem is that he's he's never had that thought. I honestly don't think he's ever, he's ever had that thought. And people are saying, you're 41, Jimmy. You know, have you not had enough? And you just get the impression that everything he does and says that he hasn't had enough. No, I think he still wants to play. I still think he wants to carry on. So Alistair Cook, left the scene but carried on playing for, for Essex. It's different because obviously Jimmy's a, a lot older than, than Sir Alistair and he's, a, and he's a batter. So it's not as hard on the body. I don't see Jimmy going to play for, for Lancashire. Um, I think the conversation between Brendan McCullum, Rob Key and, and Ben Stokes, more towards Jimmy, more towards Jimmy is, look, do you really want to go out having picked up an injury against the West Indies, Sri Lanka next summer? You might not go to India. Or do you want to go out with a full fanfare of, of the Oval to draw the Ashes series, to be the the main man in lights so many times for England, saved England so many times, led England so many times. For me, I would go out this week. I'm not going to, I don't know where Jimmy's at mentally or physically, but the Ashes is always a fitting way to go out. And... I think I'd, I'd I'd want to go out on my terms, and I think if and that's a conversation I'd be having with him if I was the hierarchy that this is a chance to go out on your terms because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. 
five test matches in India, six test matches against the West Indies of Sri Lanka. We don't know what's going to happen. Will you get to next year? Will you get to the end of next year when you'll be 42? Might, you deserve to go out with the world seeing you stand with your hand in the air, your cap in the air, holding your best merch to you abroad and walking off with everybody saying, you know, thanks for the unbelievable service you've had. I think that should be this week because, and I'm not saying that because I think he's, he's dwindling in performance or he's getting slower as a bowler or a person or anything like that. Jimmy Anderson deserves to go out this week more than any other week that is going to come on the next, what, 12, well, 52 weeks of the year. I wouldn't like to see Jimmy go injured. I wouldn't like to see Jimmy go off the back of West Indies with nobody there. A full house at the Oval and Jimmy Anderson gets the, the, the send-off that he deserves. I think I might, oh, I think that would be, I think I would go out that way because he deserves to go out that way. Stuart maybe wants to carry on. And I'd, I'd give the same conversation with Stuart. Do you want to go out on a sort of wet weekend or do you want to go out in the ashes when you've been at your, your peak and at your highest? Bear in mind, you've got a plan now for next ashes. And I know Ben and Brendan say, we're going to win the next test match. But you've got to have a one eye on what's going to happen in Australia in two years' time. You have to. And that, for me, will be the same conversation with Stuart. You might not go to India. Probably will, the way he's performed. But do you want to go out off the back of an injury or do you want to go out against the West Indies or Sri Lanka? Or do you just do you want do you want 25,000 people at the Oval at the end? And if, if I was Jimmy, I'd be definitely going. Stuart, I'd maybe be thinking about, I've still got a bit in me because of the way I've performed. But I think I might, I think I might go if I was Stuart as well. Gee, tough, eh? Tough. I mean, it, yeah, like I said, um, if you've got, if, if part of you at least is thinking, I am finding this a bit hard, then th- that would make the decision easier. I think but, that's you the know, problem, man. Stuart, Stuart's just said he's had the best year of his life. Yeah, I'm saying that's the problem. That's the biggest problem for me. I knew, right? I knew. And then I got to the Oval against Australia and I thought, I'm not going out against anybody else here. This is me done. I've looked around the team, got very little in common with a few of them. I don't even get over two or three of them. Your best mate is going. So where am I going to get some help and solace from when I'm dark nights, when I'm away from home? This is my time, right? This is the time I've got to go because I, I am losing the will for, for what's going. Problem that Broad and Anderson have got, and this is the biggest problem for them both individually, and nobody else can make that decision for them. They're not feeling like that. They're not. You can see in their eyes. Look, Jimmy and Stuart are loving playing as much as they did 10 years ago. And that's the hardest thing. But I think, for me, the, the big picture would be where they deserve to go out. Do they deserve to go out against the West Indies Schwanker? Do they deserve to go out against the Oval off the back of an unbelievable series? And everybody's saying thank you very much to two unbelievable cricketers. Even though I've got still got a little bit of hunger and drive in me, that can soon go at a drop of a hat. For me, the Oval would be the fitting way to finish them. And don't forget, you can hear updates on that fifth and final Ashes test uh, between England and Australia at the Oval on TalkSport from Thursday morning. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Durham Hall of Famer Steve Harmison. Okay, moving on to uh, news outside of the Ashes. Alex Lees, we mentioned last week, um, and I think we mentioned him the week before as well, hoping that uh, you know he doesn't feel that he's excluded from uh, a place uh, contention to get back in the, into uh, the Test team. Well, he's um, the first to reach a thousand runs in Division One with his fourth century in as many games 
uh, for Durham. He's playing absolutely magnificently. And yeah, he he also seems to have risen to the challenge of scoring quickly and playing in the in the manner that uh, McCullum and Stokes require. I mean, he's he is he has risen, raised his game, hasn't he? He has, yeah. He's and he's playing a good side. Durham are, are flying. Somebody else who worked with us closely, David Beddingham, on the England South Africa series. He got another hundred again. And Ollie Robinson, who's done brilliantly. Brian Cast, Matt Potts have started the season very, very well. Michael Jones, who I think is a is a is, a, is an outside chance of the next opening cab off the rank. But Alex Lee's for me. We talked about Greg Greg Overton last week. They're the two that probably I think fell took the brunt of baseball more than anybody else off the back of that Caribbean trip. If Broughton Anderson um, revived their careers off the back of the West Indies trip because they didn't go. The two that cost theirs was Lees and, and, and Overton for me. And brilliant to see Craig in the, the, the blast final you know, and, and being the player of the tournament because he was he was brilliant during that T20 tournament. And to see Leesy play the way he has done, the manner he's done, he was classed as Billy Brocker in the West Indies because of the surfaces they were playing on. And he's come back and gone, oh, Lord, no, no, no. I played the situation. That situation, when wickets were tumbling and we were 50 for five, I had no other way of playing. This is the way I had to play on these slow, turgid wickets. But I can play this different way. I can play the way you want me, Ben and Brendan. And he's, he's raced with 1,000 runs in a, in a good lick, in a good fashion. So I'm pleased for Lee's. He's done you know, brilliantly. He's going to be part of Durham's championship winning second division's uh, title because... Yeah, they're miles in front. Yeah, they are miles in front. And it would have been brilliant to see them in the first division this year because of, I think they would have given Surrey and Warwickshire a real run for their money because Durham have got a very, very good all-round side. But that's coming coming next year. The story I've seen this week, man, is the one you probably know more about than, than, than I do, is Dean Elgar and South Africa under-19s going to New Zealand because the, uh, the SA20 franchises have gone... No, no, we've got a contract to say the best players are staying here. But unfortunately, what's happened there? Two test matches against New Zealand and New Zealand. They've got to go ahead. Yeah, it's Cricket South Africa accepted the dates. Um, and uh, as you said, the six teams in the SA20 are all owned by IPL franchises. And they all insisted that uh, every national player, every South African player should be available for the duration of the SA20. So no cutting corners. Every other league in the world, including the IPL, is prepared to cut a few days off players' schedules um, in order to allow them to fulfil international commitments. So, so Cricket South Africa have accepted two test matches in New Zealand. It would require the national players to miss between seven and ten days, depending on the schedule of the SA20, the last seven to ten days. And um, that's not going to happen. Cricket South Africa's chief executive, Poletsi Moseki, has said that Every player will be available for the duration of the SA20. And yet he has accepted those dates for the two test matches in New Zealand. They can't forfeit those test matches because they'll be responsible for financial losses incurred by Cricket New Zealand or New Zealand Cricket. So they're left in a situation, Harmi, where they could totally discredit test cricket. It could be fatal for the format in South Africa if they send, can I mean, how can they even, as you said, under 19s, how can they pick a team? The, the 50 of the country's best cricketers, well, the 50 of the best cricketers are playing in America and uh, <laughs> they, they've already left. 
the remaining 50 best cricketers are now going to play in the country's month-long domestic competition. They've got two test matches. They're going to be looking at club cricket. I mean, what will it do to the test game, not just in South Africa, but globally, if they send, could virtually be an amateur team to play two test matches in the World Test Championship? Yeah, this could be a knock-on effect that if they do it, then where does New Zealand send the next time they go either to South Africa or go to Sri Lanka or go to none of the not obviously not one of the big three or big four. So the ramifications of what potentially South Africa are going to do here, can you imagine that happening in England? Oh, it wouldn't happen in England. But can you imagine it, it it happening? You know, the ECB and the amount of money that Sky and everybody else puts into it. This, yeah, that I hope there's a compromise because I think cricket needs a compromise, but it doesn't tend to happen with South Africa. And it'll be a watch this space thing. But for me, this is off the back of the ashes. Then you look at the West Indies series against India, where there's nobody at. And if South Africa send an under-19 team with Dean Elgar to Mount Monganui in, uh, in for the first test match in, in New Zealand, then you're looking at it and thinking, well, is test match cricket dead? Because the ashes aside, there's not much goodwill for it. And that is alarming from somebody who loves test cricket. It is massively alarming. We'll stay on top of that story. Um, staying with the South African theme, Leas Deploy has moved uh, or confirmed his move to Middlesex from Derbyshire on a, a long-term deal. Another South African who was strongly tipped to play for his country um, is now becoming eligible to play for England next year. Could that be the way they get them back? You know, the likes <laughs> of David Beddingham and, and Deploy and, and one or two others and go, right. We'll pick you in a test match against New Zealand. We'll use you for a fortnight and then bang goes your English status. Well, but for doing that, we're not going to bring you in the SA20 because we don't think you're good enough. But we'll pick you for Austra- uh, for the New Zealand series and we'll give you two test matches as a thank you. <laughs> Cynical, but as usual from me. It's not beyond the bounds of possibility, I have to say. Now then, Worcestershire are losing players like rats off a sinking ship. What's going on there? Your mate Ashley Giles... Or- I don't think there is anything subversive um, about uh, just well, sometimes it, it happens, doesn't it? Um, Jack Haynes is uh, the latest to leave, uh, joining Nottinghamshire, um, along with Josh Tongue and Dylan Pennington. Pat Brown is also on his way to Derbyshire. So, yeah, uh, Worcestershire are in for a significant rebuild. Yeah, it just seems as though they're, they're flocking away from from Worcester. I don't know why it's it's the best night out in the best night out in the county circuit, but. I think I think times have changed since I played manners when it comes to the way these lads look at where you live and and on your away trips. But like joking aside, I feel for Jilo. He's walked into a to a little bit of a storm there, but nothing new. You know, Leicestershire, they always used to cop it from the bigger counties. You know, Brody being we've had talked about Stuart Broad probably the biggest one from to go from there to to Knotts. It just seems as though Knotts don't want to produce any any of their own players. Uh, you know, looking at looking at the the group that Knots have got, or they've been building over the last sort of twenty five years, is tend to have a lot of players that play for England, but not many come through their academy system. I'm sure there'll be Knots fans out there throwing things at their radio and saying, "You don't know what you're talking about again, Harmison, because we produced X, Y, and Z. You probably have, but you've pinched a few as well. So don't sort of you know tip for that. But I feel for for the, the smaller counties starting to come, big counties taking over. Where's this hundred blast tournament gonna go and fit? Because you know the the best against the best is definitely what I'd love to see. 
Um, where, the, where the smaller counties fit, I'm not so sure, but it seems as though a lot of these smaller counties are producing good players. And unfortunately, the bigger ones just come up, gobble them up and take them away. Are we, do we need a system where possibly if we get to the franchise system where like Josh Butler signs a five-year, three-year deal with Registan and all these players go off and play franchise tournaments and there's a knock-on effect, do we get a transfer fee system come in place? Because if you are Worcester and you have got Jack Haynes who is going to go and play in a, in a, in a franchise tournament for a, a big franchise, do you get a fee for that player who you produce to pull through? I think Alex Stewart was more or less indicating that without saying we need to get a transfer fee to make sure we protect our players that we brought in. Is that the next step in cricket? Are we looking at a transfer fee system coming in where if you sign a four-year deal with Rian Ahmed at Leicester, it's going to cost a few quid now to get Rian out of Leicester to go to one of the bigger counties or you know, to, for him to be signed up by a franchise because I think that possibly needs to help from a compensation point of view to keep these smaller clubs going. Because, yes, Pat Brown's gone. Yes, Dylan Pennington's gone. Josh Tung's gone. Jack Haynes is about to go. It's going to cost a few quid to produce the next ones of that player to come through. And that's where the transfer system might just go in the way of compensation for the likes of Worcester and others who keep producing good young players. Right, there were plenty of other stories. Um, Jordan Cox on his way from uh, Kent to Essex. Mohammed Amir was uh, touted as joining Derbyshire as a local player, but they've just announced that he will actually be an overseas signing. Uh, lots of other stories, but I'm afraid we're out of time. Maybe we can catch up on those, follow those stories up next week. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week to review the fifth and final Ashes test at the Oval. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 